The war in Ukraine may have strengthened Western alliances in Europe, but not in all cases. The big outlier is the Hungarian leader, Viktor Orban, who won't supply weapons to Kiev and won't let them transit his country. My guest from Budapest is the Prime Minister's State Secretary, Zoltan Kovács. Do you want Zelensky to win the war? We want peace. You don't want him to win? Whatever it takes and how it's achieved. Even uh, if it's peace at Moscow's price? What, whatever happens, whatever happens in Ukraine is no good, not only for Hungary, but for Europe. So why does Hungary's government think Putin has made Russia great again? Why is Orban so scared of a mixed-race Hungary? And what about those rule-of-law issues with Brussels? Zoltan Kovács, welcome to Conflict Zone. Thank you for having me. Let's start, if we may, with the war in Ukraine. As far back as March, your prime minister declared the answer to the question of which side Hungary is on is that Hungary is on Hungary's side. But that's not the full story, is it? You've made a lot of statements and done a lot of things that will have pleased your friends in Moscow. Are you Russia's Trojan horse inside NATO? Well, when you put a question, please also make the quotation proper, because the beginning of that sentence was that uh, we are uh, going for peace, and that is uh, Hungary was among the first countries to immediately go towards ceasefire and peace, immediate peace talks, because that's the only way, actually, uh, to try to sort out that conflict. And indeed, uh, whatever anybody else says in this conflict, uh, all and each NATO member state and country uh, regarding the war is always representing its own interests at first. Very obviously, we do have joint interests, uh, being members of the NATO, being uh, members of a defensive alliance. Also, as a neighbor of Ukraine, and I should have started with this, very obviously we have obligations when uh, there's a war raging in a neighboring country and uh, people are fleeing for their lives. So this is how we stand and this is how we approach this conflict. OK, I mean, I'm not going to take anything away from the uh, assistance that you've provided to Ukrainian refugees, which has been substantial. But look at your actions like refusing point blank to give Ukraine any weapons or allowing NATO to transship weapons through Hungary to help them. Moscow must have been delighted with that, no? Well, we don't know about Moscow, and as a matter of fact, we don't care about Moscow, as the prime minister and uh, many of our leading uh, politicians have uh, formulated. Uh, what really counts for us is that, as a, as a, as, again, as a neighboring country with a substantial 150,000 Hungarian minority in the neighborhood, any weapon shipment, any participation in supplies would make them, as well as Hungary, a target. Don't forget about the incident, what happened in Poland. We all know that all neighboring countries of uh, Ukraine can become, by accident or by intent, part of the conflict if they are not careful enough. Hungary's position has always been very clear about uh, weapon shipments and uh, its stance, and that is we are at the part of we are going for peace. If there was and if there is a conflict, an armed conflict in Central Europe, it has always been bad for Hungarians, not to talk about those actually who are meddled, um, meddled in, the, in, this, in this war, uh, be it uh, south of Hungary or in this uh, regard, uh, uh, northeast of Hungary. So again, uh, this is a very consistent Hungarian approach uh, to armed conflicts in the region. It may be a consistent approach, but if you wanted peace so badly, why didn't you tell Moscow to get its troops out of Ukraine and do it that way? We did so. Uh, Hungary was among the first to condemn uh, the aggression, and we have repeatedly 
have been asking and are asking for uh, immediate truce, uh, withdrawal, and stop of the armed conflict. It's a clear cut violation of international law. I, be, I believe the, the Prime Minister, our Foreign Minister, uh, our Parliament, as a matter of fact, uh, our President, uh, who just visited Ukraine a couple of days ago, have been completely and fully explicit about the nature of the war and the nature of the aggression we see in Ukraine. Yes, but what you've been proposing is exactly what Moscow wanted, freeze the conflict while the Kremlin had the upper hand and could cement its territorial gains. Um, in any case, why should Ukraine sit around at so-called peace talks and surrender territory to a hostile invader that's been bombing and destroying its towns and cities and murdering its people. Why should it sit around with peace talks? Because peace talks and conversation to each other is the only way out of the conflict. No, there, there's uh, another way out of the conflict, which is Russia to get its forces out of uh, Ukraine, forces that it should never have brought in in the first place. Yes, but with all due respect and without speculation, but there's only one way if you wanted to push them out. Uh, and again, Instead of escalation, and uh, this conflict in our neighboring countries, let me repeat this, is not a new conflict. We see that uh, conflict dating back to uh, 2014 with the unlawful annexation of the Crimea. We've seen uh, sanction policies uh, and attitudes on behalf of, uh, most, of the, uh, most of Western Europe, uh, the United States, uh, and as a matter of fact, NATO, um, not finishing the conflict, as a matter of fact. So it was not able, uh, the attitude, uh, the approach, to stop the conflict. It has intensified. So again, uh, property stocks and effort, which we don't see on behalf of uh, the leaders of the European Union, uh, to step in between the warring parties, calm uh, the tension and uh, uh, try to do something for sorting out the differences, uh, that would be the way out. Um, well, you say, you say that, but what, what kind of peace do you think realistically, Moscow would sign with Ukraine while huge numbers of Russian troops are occupying vast areas of their country. Outnumbered on the battlefield, Ukraine would have had no choice but to effectively negotiate its own surrender. And you've known that all along. But realistically, nobody, ha nobody tried. Uh, this is the point here. So yeah, there's a reason for that. They don't want to cement the uh, situation in Moscow's advantage, do they? We believe that uh, the bad political decisions, uh, including the sanction policies, actually, especially on energy, are not are not calming the tension and are not uh, a way out of the conflict. It rather they rather contribute to the escalation. Uh, Hungary has been explicit on uh, on say the sanction policies and about uh, it, I mean Hungary's political stance on the issue as a neighboring country. Um, we are a small actor, uh, though we are a uh, neighbor. We are a small actor on this field. Very obviously, a lot larger forces, a lot larger interests are mingled in. We're trying to single out Hungary. Why is it Hungary and Hungarian effort that is not stopping or not helping to stop the war uh, would be unjustified uh, with all due respect. Again, Hungary's position is very clear. Uh, don't try to uh, tell us actually that we are thwarting the war effort. We are thwarting any effort to bring peace uh, to Ukraine. The Hungarian position is crystal clear. Uh, we are explicit. We are not hiding. We are don't, not having second thoughts. We would like to see this happening, actually, on behalf of those who are triggering the tension rather than calming it.
Why do you consistently play down suggestions of close relations between Vladimir Putin and your prime minister? You've said in the past the close political ties attributed to the PM and the Russian president don't exist. The, Russian, the, rela the relations are not closer than those between Russia and Germany. That's not quite true, is it? Well, there's a very simple reason, because nothing substantiates what you are trying, uh, trying to tell. Uh, Hungary's ties, connections, relationship with Russia is no more intensive or uh, particular in its uh, quality than, say, it was or it's the case uh, if it's about Germany. Uh, Twelve, 12 meetings Europe. in 13 years between their leaders. Twelve meetings. Even, even Viktor Orban said when he was in Moscow, February the 1st, three weeks before Russia invaded, this is our 12th meeting, that's rather rare. He was crying about it. It is unusual. Yeah, have, you, have, you, have you counted the meetings, conversations and negotiations with German, French, Italian and other leaders? You know, you don't. Uh, the, the, the reason is actually that when you have, uh, let's put it that way, in many respects, a strategic partnership with a, a country who is supplying you raw materials with a special regard to our energy resources, gas and oil, uh, which is a historical inheritance. So it's uh, not the fault, uh, not, the, uh, not the activity of this government, which has uh, um, uh, resulted in a almost one-sided dependence for historical reasons on Russian energy. You have to have a proper relationship, which is trying to make uh, things uh, uh, countable and accountable. And the special relationship may be uh, formulated, uh, as you suggested, only from this perspective. But when you are dependent on Russian uh, gas by 65 uh, percent, oil more than 80 percent, I believe this kind of cautiousness is required. So, so, so this is your priority, isn't it, then? This is your priority. Don't, on any account, endanger your energy supplies from Russia. That's your priority in this conflict, isn't it? Don't, don't try to suggest that anybody else is having a moral superiority or a moral uh, approach. No, I'm just trying to clarify what yours is. I'm just trying to clarify what your priority simple. is. The best interest of Hungary, and that is the Hungarian people, to have uh, an uh, accountable relationship with those countries. Actually, we are in connection, uh, our partners in trade, uh, energy supplies. Uh, this is the very same Hungarian attitude when we are members of the NATO, uh, let's put it that way which is based on mutual respect. Uh, and when a country, uh, country's economy, and that is very existence, including uh, the households, uh, um, when it's about energy, is dependent on the resources that are coming from Russia, you have to be very careful because any step to a wrong direction would basically mean the halt of the country immediately. You um, had uh, Mr. Orban in Moscow, as I said, February the 1st, three weeks before Russia invaded. Um, this was a peace mission. He described it as a peace mission. Why do you think it failed so spectacularly? Well, if, uh, if it was a failure... Uh, well, it didn't bring uh, peace, did it? It didn't then, bring any peace. Then, then it brought an invasion three and, weeks later. And Monsieur Macron and Herr Scholz have also failed. So again, uh, Hungary knows its place in international relations. As I just mentioned to you, we know that we are especially by military or security uh, perspectives, we are a small country. Uh, and our room for maneuver, uh, our political um, um, tools at our hands are very limited. But I just explained to you, actually, that when uh, we have to rely 
on very unfortunately because of the uh, missing infrastructural investments on behalf of Western European countries and the European Union. On a one-sided uh, uh, supply of energy, uh, then you have to be respectful of what is happening. And again, the Prime Minister, for, for, uh, with a very deep historical knowledge and the 30 years uh, political experience, is exactly in possession of the knowledge how to handle situations like this. We don't have more say. We don't have more influence on a great power like Russia uh, than, uh, say, uh, Germany or France. So uh, when we try to talk about peace, very obviously it was not the Hungarian perspectives and uh, um, suggestions and insights uh, that were making any um, uh, decisive uh, influence on what Russia has decided to do. Just um, four years after Putin seized Crimea, which you spoke about a little earlier, and fueled a war in the Donbass region, Viktor Orban heaped praise on the Russian leader, saying in 2018, it needs to be recognized that Putin has made his country great again and that Russia is once again a player on the world stage. What's so great about a country that launches illegal invasion, cracks down increasingly on human rights, and murders its political opponents at home and abroad? What's, what's greatness about that? Well, with all due respect, the sentence, the words of the Prime Minister are exactly true. This is what we see today. Russia regained uh, strength, um, claiming to regaining uh, influence, and has started the war. We do know that it was an aggression. We do know that it was an undue and, um, and a conflict that could have been prevented, actually, if that recognition is there with Western European leaders. Who so, could have, who could have prevented? Who could have prevented this conflict? Who could have prevented this conflict? I'm suggesting that those powers, actually, who can be, how to say, measured uh, to the powers and the influence of Russia. But with all due respect, the sentence of the prime minister is exactly true. This is what we see. This is greatness, is it? Murder and repression at home don't bother you at all. That's, that's also a sign of greatness, is it? Well, you and you can have an opinion, and as well as we have an opinion on what is happening and how, what quality, what we think about that. But still, it doesn't change the fact, actually, that what, what the prime minister was referring to is happening right now. Mr. Kovac, why is it that since the war began, your government seems to have gone out of its way to do favors for the Kremlin? Why did you insist that the Russian Orthodox patriarch Kirill uh, be removed from an EU sanctions list despite his active promotion and support for the war? Well, if it's about the sanction policies, especially when it's about uh, uh, individuals related to churches, it's a matter of principle. The Hungarian government has always been clear about the sanction policies, inappropriateness, actually, uh, if it's about political, not to talk about military goals, uh, right from uh, uh, dating back from uh, 2014. And here we go. Uh, in 2012, uh, sorry, 22, there is a war after years of sanction policies. If it's about uh, the churches and church personnel, we, be, uh, we believe uh, it's a dividing line. So if you start uh, introducing sanctions on uh, church leaders, where are you going to stop? Who, who is go who's going to make the decision? What, what about Russian diplomats to, then? You, 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 if you wanted to sanction individuals, there are other approaches and other possibilities to reach the desired target, not through and via uh, their religious uh, position or uh, sanctioning churches, as uh, it was suggested back then. You did have other possibilities. You could have targeted Russian diplomats in protest at Moscow's aggression, unlike other EU countries who kicked out some 400 of them. What stopped you doing the same? Were you scared of Moscow's reaction? 
where we are exactly doing what others are doing. Uh, you exactly know how it's going actually behind the scenes, if you like. Uh, there's always a big uh, debate, uh, lots of, um, I'm sorry to say, bargaining who to put on that list and who not to put on that list, uh, to be crystal clear here. Uh, and again, we have before uh, the suggestion, and uh, don't blame us on something that we have indicated uh, beforehand, we have indicated that for principle, uh, for matters of principle, we are not supporting any sanction on any religious personnel. Well, but no, I wasn't talking about religious personnel, I was talking about diplomats. Yeah, but if it's about diplomats, you throw any of the diplomats there's, no, out? there's no complete there's no complete ban of diplomats either. So you have to be very careful how you um, how, how you Im impose how you implement the sanction policies, because uh, the ability and capability to maintain conversation with uh, uh, the opposition side and that is uh, blame for the war and we all know that have committed aggression is equally important. So uh, when it's about imposing sanctions and bringing in new sanctions, uh, you have to always have to be very careful both from this perspective, I mean, diplomatic, uh, and if you like, power perspective, but also economically, as I just uh, suggested earlier. You, you have been very careful. You've also had four months to ratify Sweden and Finland's accession to NATO. Despite saying you'll do it, you still haven't. You've said you'll do it now early next year. Um, so why the hold up? Just to be difficult? Well, just to tell you one uh, example, actually, which is uh, basically overburdening the Hungarian parliament, is uh, our conversation with the European uh, Commission and the European uh, institutions. So we have uh, accepted and we have negotiated 17 uh, different measures and points uh, by which they start, uh, started and uh, uh, tried to standardize uh, the problems actually we have in our uh, relationship. We were ready to sort them out. Uh, they require time. And I got to tell you, as the Prime Minister pointed out, not a minute is going to be lost because of Hungary. In October, I mean, you say that, in October, MPs from your party blocked a motion that would have speeded up the process of ratifying Sweden and Finland's accession. Why did they do that? With all due respect, we are the Hungarian government. The Hungarian parliament has its own agenda. It's going to be put on its... Uh, um, uh, timeline and duly accepted, as we suggested, because the Hungarian government is fully supportive of those two candidates. So, with all due respect, don't try to tell us and give us timelines and urge us into decisions which are going to be made according to our own timeline. Mr. Kovac, Hungary's been at odds with Brussels for some years over rule of law issues, among them what they see as your excessive control of the media and your lax attitude to corruption surrounding the disbursement of EU funds. You say you have addressed those concerns. The EU is about to decide whether you've done enough. You certainly waited a long time to do anything at all, didn't you? Nobody ever was able, will be able to define what exactly the rule of law means. Uh, there are no, um, how to say, unbiased and objective factors and uh, benchmarks by which it can be measured. Uh, we have, uh, I believe, uh, declared and clearly indicated that we are ready to engage in uh, conversation with the Commission if it's about uh, particular issues. It took the Commission almost two years, actually, to tell us, to tell us what exactly their problem is. We have sorted those 17 points I've over, already referred to out. Uh, these were technical issues uh, from the Hungarian perspective, not matters of principle. Uh, so on our behalf, uh, there is no obstacle to uh, accept or sign uh, the two agreements that, uh, that are required actually to have, accept, have access uh, to, the, uh, to the funds. 
And with all due respect, it's not going to be dependent on Hungary. Our expectations are that as we have negotiated and we made compromise, uh, very clearly uh, doing everything at Hungary's disposal uh, to fulfill uh, the requests on behalf of the Commission, uh, we are expecting uh, signatures and we are expecting that money to arrive to Hungary duly as it should be arriving um, uh, uh, by now. As a matter of fact, let, let us remind the viewers that the RFF has been accepted two years ago. The original intent was to have access considerable amounts of money that would help economies recover after the pandemics, and that is the uh, coronavirus, the, the, the COVID uh, crisis. Two years lost, uh, we still haven't received one euro cent. Other countries are enjoying it. It's not a matter of uh, uh, rule and law, uh, rule of law, and uh, you know human rights and other issues you were mentioning, but it's a matter of competitiveness and equal treatment in the European Union. It's it's not just me mentioning human rights attitudes. A lot of your government policies have been condemned pretty much unanimously by not just by human rights groups, but the UN Human Rights Office, the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, the Council of Europe, the US State Department. But you see all that as some kind of, what, liberal, woke, anti-white conspiracy against Hungary? You really believe in all that? These organizations, governments, uh, and uh, political parties and political lobby groups exactly know that there are no problems with human rights here in Hungary. In July, Viktor Orban railed against what he called an ideological trick of the internationalist left to say Europe's population is already mixed race. We Hungarians are not a mixed race and we don't want to become a mixed race. Mixed politicians in the post-West aren't nations anymore, but a conglomerate of people. What are you so afraid of in Hungary? Diluting your racial purity? Hungary's perspective on uh, those issues you just mentioned uh, is very clear for the past uh, more than decade by now. Hungary has chosen a different way when it's about uh, dealing with impending, uh, uh, population uh, uh, issues. Uh, we have introduced new family policies based on the tra traditional family in face of uh, the developments uh, uh, in Western Europe and the United States. We have chosen a different economic path which is based on uh, jobs and uh, the uh, um, uh, employment uh, of Hungarians, as many have, uh, as possible. We have created one million new jobs. We've been very clear about if it's about uh, the Hungarian youth and protecting children's rights, that they belong to the parents uh, under the age of 18. So there's no place for any kind of LMBTQ propaganda in uh, I, the I, I understand that. I understand that. But so, Mr. Mr. Orban's comments were widely condemned as racist. The U.S. envoy against anti-Semitism, Deborah Lipstadt, said she was deeply alarmed by the rhetoric that clearly evokes Nazi racial ideology. She's right, isn't he? I mean, what Orban said was well, nothing um, more than really, a, dog, really, a dog whistle to the far right, wasn't it? It really sounds like the so-called illiberal uh, persecution that ha you and many Western European media uh, started against Hungary years ago. You exactly know that in Central European vocabulary, uh, what the prime minister said, what it means. It, it clearly means that Hungary has never been a multi-ethnic uh, society or um, uh, country by the standards of Western Europe. Uh, it uh, has always been multi-ethnic uh, by the standards of Europe's own history, and that is Central European history. So we, you don't have to tell us uh, what multi-ethnic environment means here in Hungary, where we have 11 uh, national minorities living together for uh, centuries, or rather a thousand years uh, dating back. So 
everybody exactly knows what the prime minister uh, know, uh, means by those uh, those words and we are not standing alone most of central europe and central european people uh, think alike and that is uh, we don't want to be a new a new a new perception of uh, multi ethnicity bring into into central europe we see in france germany and in the uk just briefly back to the war nato wants zelensky to win the war your prime minister calls him an opponent NATO sends more and more weapons. You say that's just prolonging the war. Do you want Zelensky to win the war? We want peace. You don't want him to win? Whatever it takes and how it's achieved. Even uh, if it's peace at Moscow's price? What, whatever, happens, whatever happens in Ukraine is no good, not only for Hungary, but for Europe. You see what is happening. You see the looming inflation and economic crisis. Uh, as a matter of fact, this is, this is a crisis, which is a result of bad political decisions rather than reality, and that is the lack of raw materials and the proper economic crisis. So, uh, it, it's all, it all goes back. It all goes back to the origins, the ongoing, and the future of this war, according to the Western European heads of states and Western European mindset. We here in Central Europe, especially as a neighbor of Ukraine, have chosen a different path, and that is we are calling immediate truce, peace talks, and uh, stop of uh, the fighting, uh, because that's the only way out of uh, the conflict. I, I understand that, but as a NATO member, you cannot bring yourself to say you want Ukraine to win. Russia was the aggressor, you've, you've acknowledged that, but you can't say that you want Ukraine to win. Now, with all due respect, NATO is a defensive alliance, and NATO is not having... Uh, uh, anything to do without uh, a common decision in uh, in uh, Ukraine. So what you see on behalf of the member states is a different matter. We are fully and completely standing together with our NATO allies, and we have always followed and are going to follow the common NATO decisions. Sultan Kovac, been good to have you on Conflict Zone. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you.